everyone and welcome back to the It's Good to Talk podcast brought to you by Student Minds at Canterbury Christchurch University and then put onto the Society podcast on our YouTube channel. Um, today we're going to be talking about dealing with a uh, serious medical condition and the effects it has on your mental health. I'm uh, joined today by Lee and uh, yeah we're going to talk about that. As always anything that we say does not reflect any views of any of the associations or fellowships or memberships that we may have. It doesn't reflect the views of student minds uh, both at Canterbury Christchurch University or nationally as a charity. It doesn't reflect the views of Canterbury Christchurch University or the Students Union for Canterbury Christchurch University or again any other memberships that we may have part of. Uh, also these are our views today, they may have been different yesterday, they may be different tomorrow, uh, that is just the nature of being human. Um, so also be aware that we may touch on sensitive um, materials, sensitive items in what we talk about and it's also likely that one of us, probably me, will swear at some point. So if you don't want to be offended by this, you, you know, you don't like that kind of language, please do click off now. We don't want to upset anybody. So um, just be aware of that if you're going to continue watching. So, Lee, hello, welcome. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's okay, thank you. So um, I don't know if you want to kind of introduce why I've asked you to be on here, kind of what your interaction with um, medical shoes are, um, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. Um, so everyone, uh, as Adam said, my name is Lee. Um, so the reason that I'm here um, is because we met recently um, online, which as many of us are kind of forming new relationships or amending how we're interacting with people generally during the pandemic um, and really are kind of experiencing a little bit more fullness in our communication, um, especially as we are interacting in a virtual world now. And so uh, we met via another platform uh, on Twitch, which I think a lot of people primarily understand is used by gamers, but actually there are a variety of people um, on Twitch who use the platform to communicate various different ideas and things like that uh, to the public and to their various communities. Um, so the reason that I'm here uh, is actually because for me, my platform was a way to access um, and communicate with people in a way that I didn't really have access to during the pandemic. And a big part of that was actually because I have lupus. Uh, so lupus is an autoimmune disorder. Um, and primarily, I guess the easiest way to understand it, because it does affect everyone a little bit differently, uh, depending on how severe or mild or, you know, I guess, interaction with uh, the disorder is, is that uh, my body is kind of trying to kill me. Um, so I think everyone jokes about lupus because uh, it became a bit of a, a running joke on the television show House with Hugh Laurie, uh, where obviously they're trying to solve all of these medical mysteries. And at the beginning of every episode, they're like, oh, it must be lupus. Um, and it was just kind of always a standing joke. Actually, there are a huge number of people um, who have autoimmune disorders of a variety of types, whether it be someone who has Crohn's disease, uh, whether it be just kind of a generic connective tissue disorder that maybe hasn't evolved or devolved into lupus yet. And so um, for me, you know, my journey started several, several years ago now, oh gosh, about five years ago. Um, but prior to that, actually, I was very whole and healthy. Um, and I hadn't really had uh, a lot of experience actually with uh, the medical community, despite the fact that my, my mother is a doctor. Um, but prior to that, I was always whole and healthy. And um, I did, I do admit, I kind of took my health for granted for a time um, up until I had an, an additional context, I think that, that 
provided me with a new lens and a new perspective. So uh, yes, I have lupus and that is why I'm here. Yeah, as you say, it's it was kind of taken as as a meme by by House quite a lot. Um, mm. That's really the first time that I uh, came across uh, the idea of lupus as well. And um, before that, I'd never really heard of it. Um, that's you know, it's it's just something that kind of came into the um, the social consciousness through that. Um, so obviously, as you say, it affects people completely differently, and there's a lot of different um, autoimmune um, syndromes out there how has it affected you um both kind of physically and and mentally because obviously having any kind of uh, disease even having something that's i don't want to say day-to-day but something that's seen as less serious even things like asthma can have a serious impact on how you view life in general because suddenly things that you may have done before now aren't possible that may have been something that you used to um actually reduce stress or things like that that now isn't you know isn't something you can actually do so how's that affected you in general Absolutely. My day-to-day life changed dramatically, actually. So um, my diagnosis happened in 2015. um, And essentially, I was off kind of living an adventurous life. My best friend actually was to be married to a gentleman that we had met while we were both um, living abroad and studying abroad in South Korea. And so I had uh, returned to South Korea for her wedding. Um, Now, at the time, I was living in the United States. And so I had a 15-hour flight. Now, we've all been uh, on a long flight. I think some of us, maybe probably, especially here in the UK, you know, you go on holidays and you might average a three to five hour flight and you get off and gosh, you know, you're a little bit, a little bit stiff, quite uncomfortable, depending on how long you've been cramped up in those seats. Um, But for me, I noticed that actually it was to the point where I was almost immobile in some ways. And I was like, gosh, that was a dramatic turn of events, considering that I'd taken long haul flights very regularly. Um, I had flown in all kinds of, you know, variety of situations for extended periods of time. So I was like, gosh, the fact that I couldn't really move my hands or walk very easily. And I was extremely fatigued. And I was like, gosh, I weird. But I just kind of wrote it off. You know, I didn't think anything about it. I got off the plane, I collected my bags, you know, I struggled a bit, but I was like, oh, that's just odd. I thought I was just tired. Um, And so I get there and uh, we we were in Seoul and uh, I was hanging out with my friend and she was like, you know, that's just, you just, yeah, you just seem like you're like really puffy. You seem like, you know, your face is is quite swollen. And I was like, yeah, you know, I think I'm just tired from the flight. You know, it just feels like having the worst hangover ever. And those all sounded like symptoms of a hangover, you know, gosh, you're all bloated up and you can't move and you feel terrible. And so I was like, yeah, this is just clearly it. Um, But then actually, because I was there for nearly... I think it was like 43 days, Um, my symptoms didn't really ever improve. And so it got to the point where I really wasn't able to get up and down off the floor. Um, You know, our beds are on the floor and I couldn't do sort of very basic, normal things. uh, Just functionality was gone. Um, So being able to do up buttons on a blouse or be able to hold a cup or anything like that, I had no strength in my hands. Uh, For me, that was a really significant turn of events. Um, Prior to this, uh, I was quite a good boxer. Uh, I was into um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and, you know, I was very involved uh, with a lot of very physical activities. Uh, I played rugby at my university. You know, I was a really good hooker. And, you know, additionally, uh, I was also a cadet, you know, so I had a lot of experience with the armed forces. And my whole plan, my whole life 
you know, was kind of on track to be working in the intelligence community, to be, you know, joining the armed forces full time. So there, there really was a very set plan. Um, and my life had a lot of momentum moving in that direction. Um, you know, I was studying international relations at a university in the United States that is a recruitment pool uh, for the CIA, for the DOD, the State Department. Um, so, you know, really kind of all my ducks were in a row um, and everything that I was doing, you know, really great student, had really good internships. I, I was squared away. And then suddenly I found myself not able to get out of bed, even though literally like months before I had been rappelling off a 60 foot cliff in Dahlonega, Georgia, which is where the um, US uh, Rangers trained, uh, the US Army Rangers trained. Uh, it's their mountain, I guess, training phase is the easiest way to explain it. Uh, and, you know, and I went to a military university, so, you know, really high speed places. And suddenly I couldn't do very basic things, um, you know, and I was very, very independent, really, like almost, almost to the point where it was a character flaw. <laughs> let's, let's be honest. And um, yeah, I, I couldn't address. So, you know, my, my friend on her wedding day is having to help me, you know, get to and from, you know, places by going up another stairs because I couldn't do it because of the pain in my feet and knees. And obviously as, as a female, I was wearing heels um, and I was in agony, like more so than we are normally <laughs> in agony in heels. Um, and yeah, and so, uh, for me, when I when I got back to the United States later, um, I was very fortunate. Obviously, a lot of people uh, have heard so much about the tragedy that is the U.S. healthcare system. That is true. While there are some really, really amazing doctors and specialists there, it is extremely expensive. And so, if you are someone who is not fortunate enough to have access to good healthcare through your employer, um, or if you are you know, if, if you've unfortunately have, like for me, I had really good uh, healthcare coverage um, and good insurance through the military and through um, still being under my parents' insurance at the time, because I was covered until I was 26 automatically. Um, and again, I, as I mentioned, my mother is in medicine. So she knew a lot of people who um, were able to then help get me connected in such a way that I think kind of the average individual might not have access to. Um, because when I tried actually on my own, without those additional contexts, uh, I was accused of pill chasing um, in the case of, of obviously dealing with, uh, America was dealing with the opioid crisis uh, at the time. I mean, they still are, that's not changed. Um, and so, you know, kind of without the additional support of, uh, of a system where, you know, like I said, because I had privilege, because my mother was in a position to, to make contacts with uh, other medical professionals in order to be able to help and support my diagnosis, I might not have ever been diagnosed to the point where then, you know, my life would have been in kind of in immediate risk. And so, um, yeah, kind of everything about my life changed. Um, so it took over a year really to get a definitive diagnosis. Uh, we went through a series of, you know, kind of really difficult tests and not understanding anything was happening. And for me, um, obviously I was at university full time. I had a plan and then the plan just was just like out the window, just completely out the window. And that was very difficult because a lot of my identity uh, was very much connected to everything that I did and everything that I achieved. Um, I was very much socialized uh, in, a, in a value system that said that, you know, if I wasn't achieving really, that I, I wasn't really in any way useful or valuable, um, that my achievements mattered more 
than who I was. So my intrinsic value didn't really exist. It was, it was very much transactional. It was very much performative in that in order to, in any way, justify my existence, I had to be the best at everything. Mm. Um, and so then to suddenly find myself very vulnerable and very sick, um, not able to perform, not able to achieve, having to completely reroute my life. I was so depressed. I was so depressed. And I didn't even realize that I was depressed. Um, because again, there really wasn't the mental health support uh, in the United States that you see here in the United Kingdom, which is again, something that I really wasn't, you know, wasn't accustomed to. Uh, my mother's American, <clears throat> excuse me. So her perspective on all of this was also just that like I needed to pick myself up by my bootstraps and get better yeah. uh, despite the fact that she works in medicine um, and so uh, I think that that was for me extremely difficult um, because my day-to-day -day life became one that essentially I think focused very much on survival as opposed to before, I think that I was kind of more, I had the privilege to kind of focus more on issues of self-expression where, you know, I, it was about, you know, who I was and what I was doing and where I was going uh, in kind of a more abstract sense. And then actually my day-to-day -day life became more about, well, am I able to get myself out of bed today? Mm. Am I able to cook myself a meal today? Am I able to drink enough water today? Um, and I think a lot of people um, in mental health have heard of spoon theory. I had no spoons. There, there were no spoons at all. And so um, once I kind of realized what was going on, I realized, you know, obviously I had a lot of time to think because I'm just led there helpless. <laughs> so um, I did kind of start to reassess um, how I thought about my life and the direction that my life was going um, and maybe what I really wanted to focus on in the future moving forward. But my, my mental health absolutely took a catastrophic hit. Um, and a lot of that, uh, I think, came from the fact that my physical capabilities had been eroded so much and my independence was gone. And so I think that I had no real coping skills uh, for, how, for how to deal with that at all. Um, the second that my uh, identity base had been eroded. Yeah, it's, it is... It's weird um, with, with mental health and everything. As you say, um, medicine between the UK and the US is just, the, the difference is very culpable. If, you, if you're not within that um, set of privilege, um, my uncle lives in, uh, in America. Luckily, he um, has enough money to not have to worry about his healthcare. Um, but, you know, it, for, for those that don't have um the money i mean i think it's i think it's now around 40 million or something like that that don't have really what you could call any healthcare at all um mm -hmm. in the us so it can be very difficult and it is kind of lucky for you um that that you had that and even so even with that it, it took a year so that's obviously going to have an effect because it's it's cumulative throughout the year when you don't know what's going on and especially mm -hmm. if you're having um kind of an accusation of well you're just after this which isn't something you generally get in the in the uk obviously because although there are people that do that there are people that that, that chase and pills and things like that i mean i used to work for a, um a drug rehabilitation um charity so i i, I know that exists but it's it's nowhere near seen as much as that. So it's very different. And as you say, even though your mum is a, um, a doctor, there still is this very strange um, idea that 
well, it, it doesn't matter, you just pick yourself up. And I, I talk to people all the time because um, so the reason, I mean, we kind of came across each other is um, through a, a mutual friend of ours, through Twitch. Um, and the reason kind of anyone came across me is because I'm a mental health streamer on Twitch. Um, and so I came across different things. One of the things I mentioned, uh, and I've mentioned to people before, is that I have basically two doctors, two GPs that I use for different things. I have one that I use um, for medical. If I have any uh, issue, you know, a few years ago, I had irregular heart uh, heartbeat. I went to that one specific, you're the doctor that I go to for that. And then when I've had um, a need for referral, I go to the other one because I know that the first one, good as he is, doesn't see it as as much his his he's very kind of this is the way to go and you know don't worry about anything else so it is unfortunate that that exists pretty much everywhere unfortunately it exists more in certain cultures and environments um but the idea that it exists everywhere and i mean we've had similar ish um kind of ideals and obviously um with martial arts we both have a, a martial arts background and I think that's a great outlet for uh, mental health. And I've said this to a lot of people is at the end of the day, for me, it's a lot easier for me to, to punch something and, you know, hit something than it is for me to talk about any other issues. You know, I'd rather punch the wall than, than bleed my heart out. That's just the way I am. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just something that's inbuilt. And also I have that kind of, Similar-ish ideal. I hope a lot of my family were were military. Um, I, when I was at university, did politics, and I was looking um, at one point at the intelligence services in the UK. Um, I stupidly, because I was relatively young, decided I can't be James Bond. Therefore, there's no point. Um, that was an interesting, interesting um, kind of not interview, but you know, um, <laughs> just like. I can't be James Bond, it's fine. Um, anyone wondering the reason is I'm too tall. I can't be, I can't be a, a spy, I'm over six foot, it's no good. So that was, that's that coming up. Um, but yeah, obviously these, there's, a, there's a mindset that comes with that, that kind of international relations, politics, that kind of intelligence service, it comes with an ideal of how you should be that is kind of cut off when it comes to mental health. Um, and then you've been cut off from your ability to do certain um, physical activities. I mean, because they're, they're, they're just not possible. It's even worse now because of um, COVID, obviously, because you're far more restricted. You know, I can still go out for a run, um, but, you know, you haven't got that outlet anymore. So for you, is, does, do you does it feel more like a kind of a domino effect rather than just, I have lupus, therefore I'm this. It's, I have lupus, that now means I can't do this and it means I can't do this, and now I'm like this. Because obviously, you say you've been, you at one point were taken into kind of a, quite a, a deep depression, and this idea of, you know, pick you up by your bootstraps type, type of idea came forward, but was it more the kind of depression came because you realized I no longer have this outlet, I can't, I can't roll on the mats, I can't, you know, go and, go and do this. Was that the kind of, the build up that, the, the the way we all have a, a way of dealing with our own mental health that we some of us don't even realize we do it you know we, we have something that we only realize is a barrier to mental health when it's taken away from us and was that kind of what sunk you a little bit deeper yeah i i think so um so uh, i also have autism and so there were a lot of kind of the 
I was used to essentially adjusting and coping um, kind of with my environment. Uh, obviously, it's a processing disorder. And so, um, again, because I had access to care and privilege, um, especially uh, before I returned to the United States, um, that for me, I had kind of the experience previously of dealing with cognitive behavior therapy and things like that. Um, so it's, it's not like mental health was like personally unknown to me. Um, or kind of my experience. Um, but I do think that it was a domino effect because essentially kind of once the floodgates were opened, um, my ability to cope just sort of was completely overwhelmed. And so a lot of the things that I did as uh, just kind of my personal, my again, just my own personal strategies um, and for what worked for me and, and in kind of dealing with my environment, usually suddenly were absolutely kind of, I gosh, I, I don't even really know how to describe it other than overwhelmed. Um, I didn't really see any alternatives because I felt like that all of the alternatives, um, outlets and, and new ideas or anything that I was coming up with to try to do better, to try to help myself, really kind of weren't accessible for a variety of reasons, mostly related to lupus. Um, so, you know, I used to really, you know, enjoy my physical activity. You know, that's one of the things that whether you are on the NHS, you know, website or you see kind of, you know, the, the first kind of tier one mental health professional, they always go, well, are you getting enough sleep? Are you getting enough exercise? And do you eat well? Yeah. Yes, is the <laughs> answer usually, uh, at least from my perspective. Uh, and everything that I was doing, uh, like I said, you know, I had a really physical lifestyle. I was very competitive. I was very fit. Um, I did a lot of, you know, kind of very high level sports. And so there was really kind of not a reason that I wasn't, you know, getting enough physical activity or getting enough sunshine. Cause let me tell you, you are out in all weathers and you are getting that vitamin D. And so, um, yeah, a lot of the, I think kind of base level things that they say you should do to help yourself. I kind of had already checked those boxes. And so I was like, gosh, there's really, nothing else aside from now the activities that I can't do anymore so it, it absolutely was a domino effect so that actually is kind of what led me to find new outlets new hobbies new activities that I previously hadn't really considered um, enjoying I guess uh, so because I suddenly couldn't really play sports at the same level because I suddenly uh, couldn't really engage with the world the same way I was like right okay, what's, what's next? Now, granted, this was not like an overnight thing. I just didn't wake up one day and feel super motivated and was like, I'm going to sort things out. Oh my God, are you kidding me? It was a nightmare. Um, it was so many, honestly, years of trial and error where I would give myself a shot at something, realize that I couldn't do it, feel immediately defeated and low and really kind of just in the depths of, of this struggle, trying to understand what was going to be possible for me or next for me. And it just felt like that every single time I tried to move forward, it was very much, you know, one step forward, three steps backwards. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a domino effect. Um, I kind of felt like that things were taken away from me. Um, so I was very, very angry as well. And again, the way that I interact with the world, often I find the world extremely frustrating, right? A lot of, 
a lot of kind of environmental inputs uh, for me are extremely frustrating in a way that I think a lot of people don't experience. Something might annoy them or they might, you know, be able to block something out in a way that I can't, um, in a way that I specifically like auditory stimulus or just kind of taste textures, things like this, right? Just things that other people might not think about uh, for me are significant barriers. So it's not like I was unfamiliar with frustration. It is not as though this was kind of a whole new skill set I had to develop as far as like coping skills. For me, it was like everything that I knew how to do was utterly failing. Um, and so then how do I move forward? How do I make different decisions? How do I help myself? And it just seemed honestly really impossible. Um, and so I was very kind of late to video gaming culture or, or kind of the world that existed online. For me, the internet was a tool. Um, obviously I was very familiar with it, uh, you know, as far as how I applied it to my research, as far as how I used it essentially as an asset, but did I really use the internet, uh, or social media in a way that a lot of my peer group did? No, not particularly. Yes, of course I had, you know, all the kind of social media platforms and Instagram or Facebook, but, um, any of my friends will tell you that I, I'm not really particularly on there. I will post or check in if I go somewhere significant, but, um, often my, my posts are not personal. They're more kind of factually based. So, you know, I, if I was in Budapest, if I was, if I was in South Korea, if I was in Australia, if I was in any of these places, um, for work aside from, you know, like not being able to post on the, when I was in the Middle East and things like that, um, it was just here I am, here's what I'm doing. Here's a little bit about this place. Um, and it was more kind of like a Nat Geo special than it, it was kind of anything about my my life uh, or, or in any way, I think, it, making me emotionally accessible. I was definitely not emotionally accessible uh, to, to my friends or, or to my family. And I think that that was something that has definitely changed uh, in, my, in my kind of current form and my current approach. Um, and so finding video games, finding online communities, this was very new for me. Mm. And especially using them in a way that I think it is generating meaning in my life is definitely um, a new approach that I was completely unfamiliar with uh, previously. Um, and like I said, simply just because I didn't really engage with the platforms that way, I didn't think of them that way. So I didn't actually know that a lot of these communities existed. I didn't know that this is kind of how people existed together online. So this has been a learning process for me. Um, so this, I'm just trying to pick up these little dominoes kind of just one at a time. And, and this is definitely one of the next steps for me to try to figure out how to put my next little piece back in place. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. I mean, like you say, um, because um, those of you that don't know, I haven't realized I'm also um, what would now be ASD level one. Um, so my, my bugbear and always one of these days, people that have, have done it will see one of these videos. Um, but I always get very irritated because I I don't think people realize that people with what was autism now ASD, you know, all, all the same thing, different names, um, is for, for many of us actually stops us from recognizing to not blur everything out at once. If you ask us a question, we give you the answer. The problem is, is that people expect a more kind of nuanced you know oh well i need to hold something back because you know it's not polite well no you asked me a question so i answer that question and i often get the kind of oh well you know you've done this or because 
people assume that comments, and I, I found this from talking to a lot of other people who um, have ASD, is um, comments are seen as arrogant because if you're asked what you do or you ask what you've done, you tell them because that's what the question was. Um, and obviously that, that causes an, uh, an issue with interaction. So if you're trying to kind of rebuild your own mental health, but then your interaction and the, the barrier between you and someone else causes an issue as well, you've got an additional um, add-on to everything else that's happening to you anyway. So for, for you, you kind of had to deal with your, yourself, the changes in your physicality, your interaction with the world in general. But then on top of that, when you try and do anything, someone's just going to come at you and go, well, you know, you're just being like this. Well, actually, no, 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 there's a lot more behind it. I think, I've, I've said this a lot, I fucking hate Rain Man, the film, because I blame that for pretty much all of this. Because that film suggests, one, it suggests the idea of high and low functioning autism, which doesn't exist in the medical field. Um, but also um, the idea that if you go by that old way of looking at things, we are high functioning autistics. Rain Man fucking wasn't. But the problem is, is that, we are now, you know, oh, you don't do tricks and you can talk to me. Oh, you can't have autism. Yeah. It must just be that you're arrogant. It must just be that you're like this. It's like, that's not how it works. That's just not it. You know, that Rain Man was the lowest functioning auti um, autism with a spe uh, specificity in um, Cervantism, which only happens for 10% of those that even have that. It's, it was nonsensical. But that caused an, an additional barrier. And it's, it's very hard to then pick yourself up from that as well. So for you, you're having to find different outlets and, you know, a, a bit of this and a bit of this, um, which is very interesting. I mean, I, I use Twitch very differently. So anyone wondering, but you don't game, Adam? No, I don't. I really don't. I am not a gamer in any way. My interactions on Twitch do not have games in the background. I literally have not come across anybody else that uses Twitch like me. I don't know whether that's good or bad, but um, I just turn the camera on and start talking, uh, which I'm, I'm guessing most people just be like, well, you never shut up anyway. Um, but it is interesting that you've been able to, even though it was over years, that's something that essentially was created as a, an outlet for those that needed to game. And it was originally kind of, you know, oh, well, I want to be able to watch this person. I want to be able to do this, has ended up being... The, the immediate word that comes in is crutch, and I don't mean it like that, but it's it's the only word that's that's there in my head for it. But it, it's it's that um, that helping hand for you in your kind of mental health struggles. Um, and obviously, for anyone that doesn't kind of get what Twitch is, it's basically um, we turn a camera on and start doing stuff. You know, some people do cooking, some people do um, just never shut up like me. Some people game and talk. Um, like Lee does um, but there's, there's different ways and then there's a community that interacts with you um, and I think for me um, and I, I would assume for you as well the fact that other people give a shit is a big help because obviously for you you're not you're not able to go and speak to those um, friends that you used to train with and even the interaction with your own with your own mum wasn't necessarily an idea of understanding whereas a community comes to you because they like what you're about and so is it is it the idea that now it's like they kind of get me because if you're having a shit day which I know you've come on stream having a shit day 
um, people can just go, are you, are you okay? Like, don't, don't worry about the fucking game. Like, are you all right? And people actually do that. Um, so as, how, how has that kind of felt that other people have, have actually cared? People you've never met or potentially never going to meet. Um, you know, how, how has that kind of interacted with you as well? Because obviously it's, there's one part of it, which means you're, you've got an outlet, but obviously there's something coming back from it as well. Yeah, I think that it's really actually an incredible platform. I think that also the feedback you get um, is very unique um, I, for a couple of reasons. One, I think that primarily we are all growing up or kind of in our face-to-face interactions. We're very limited, right? in regards to the pool of people that we ever come across, right? And so whether this be um, when you are growing up in school or you go on to university um, or you are in the workplace, the pool of people that you interact with is so small compared to the total global population, right? That just exists. And so the likelihood of you coming across like-minded individuals or people who have similar interests to you um, or people who are interested in your existence right, generally, is very small um, because everyone has their own lives and their own hobbies and their own interests. And of course, that's absolutely fine. Does that mean that that is going to be congruent with mine? No, probably not. Um, And in all likelihood, not. Um, And so I think then what Twitch allows people to do is connect with communities and connect with individuals of like-minded nature um, in a way that I think isn't always... Mm. the internet isn't always a catalyst uh, for positivity and it isn't always um, <laughs> I think we all have seen that uh, we, we all know that this is true sometimes social media platforms can be dark and very toxic places that are very very difficult to interact with because they do actually erode your mental health um, they do actually make it very hard for you to want to get up and read through the news or see what's going on on your timeline or any of these other you know specific interfaces available on social media platforms. Uh, In my experience, Twitch is different, um, primarily because of the way that the algorithms work and the way that they connect people generally. Um, So depending on what you're doing, um, and then depending on what people are searching for, if you are doing, let's say you're doing task A, somebody else is interested in task A, they can find you. Um, So that means that people who are essentially on track or tracking with what you are putting out into the world, uh, they're already interested. They're already engaged. So, you know, if you're looking on Google search for your nearest Costa coffee, it wouldn't make any sense, right? If you came across, I I, I don't even know anything else, your fish and chip shop, be like, I was really after a bagel. I don't understand why I'm, I'm, I I didn't want mushy peas internet. What are you doing? Um, So Twitch is saying, Hey, that's fine. We're not here to sell you mushy peas. You can go have a coffee. That's fine. Um, And so in connecting people based on their interest and connecting people based on what it is that they're actually after, if you're someone who provides that, then boom, kind of not necessarily instant community. I'm not saying that at all, because obviously there is so much more to it than that as far as the level of interaction and, um, you know, your ability to kind of, of, of foster a community as well. Um, But for me in particular, I was really thrown into Twitch. I didn't really know what I was getting into. Um, Like I said, a very kind of little experience with social media generally. And then um, it was simply because uh, one of my real life friends uh, who lives thousands and thousands of miles away, um, who's a PhD candidate in uh, Maryland, 
literally was like, hey, you know, it'd be great if you could come support me. And I'm a supportive person. So I was like, of course, I'd love to use my Prime subscription and come support you and hang out online. No problem. Uh, and then I just sort of found myself in very deep waters where suddenly I was surrounded by all these people with all these interesting ideas and all these fun things to say. And I was just like, you know what, this is amazing. Um, I think also the timing of finding online communities was very important for me. So obviously we are all in the middle of a global pandemic. And so, you know, we don't have access, like you said, you know, I, I can't go train. I can't go see my friends. I can't go out, out, um, as they say. And so all of a sudden I was just stuck and I was like, huh, well, I can't leave my house because death seems inevitable. Um, especially being someone with a long-term illness, um, and lupus actually means that I'm immunocompromised. So um, that means that it's not just that I have terrible arthritis and my life is miserable and I'm in pain all the time. Um, it also means that my immune system is uh, intentionally repressed by the medications that I take because, again, I have overactive white blood cells that are attacking healthy tissues and killing my organs, which is, again, kind of the most simplistic way uh, to, to put what's happening to me. Uh, you know, lupus does kind of eventually kill you. It's just a matter of how long it takes. Um, so, I mean, it seems grim. So sorry, everyone. Um, and some people live very long lives with lupus. Some people don't. For some people, their, their lupus is more aggressive than others. I'm one of those. So, you know, my timeline is different. So my priorities are different. And so finding uh, communities where suddenly people kind of cared about my story. They kind of cared about what I was going through. I mean, that's kind of what has led me to doing this podcast with you this morning in a way that I won, I would say 18 months ago, I never, ever, ever talked about what was quote unquote wrong with me. Um, I very much suffered from the curse of still always trying to put my best foot forward, right? Um, I, you know, I know I talk a lot about toxic positivity, especially these days where you can't just put a blanket statement over it that says, oh, it could be worse, right? Because positivity can absolutely in some ways marginalize your experience, right? And, and kind of say, oh, well, you know what? It could be worse or, you know, you should have some perspective on this. Yes, it could be worse, but my personal experience with this is horrendous. So of course it could be worse. Do I want it to be worse? No. Does it mean that I'm very upset? I'm very miserable. I'm in loads of pain all the time. Yes. So simply saying, you know, it could be worse or try to be positive And, you know, one of those always look for that silver lining. And I'm like, wait, 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 you can't just kind of blanket this in, in a, you know, in a bandaid of positivity. Um, you can't put a plaster over this and expect it to be fine. And so finding online communities that weren't that way, that were saying, Hey, actually, you know, we want to hear, you know, what's going on today. And in the same way, obviously I reciprocate that, you know, it's obviously not a one way street. It's very much that I listen and that, you know, I give feedback and I talk with my community in a way that's more meaningful than just, Hey, how are you? How's it going? Right. Which is very perfunctory. And in our day-to-day -day lives, it's also very performative um, where we don't actually always mean it. We just kind of go along with it. I know you and I have talked about this, you know, somebody says, Hey, how's it going? And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. That's it. <laughs> I don't necessarily care. Uh, I think in our day-to-day -day lives, we're socialized actually not to care because if we went around caring about other people, I think we would have to change the way that we do a lot of things if we genuinely were interested in their well-being. Um, and I think that largely, uh, 
we as a society and we as individuals are not really interested in caring. But I think that that's changing. I think for some people, the pandemic has kind of opened a lot of doors um, as far as figuring out how to uh, engage with other people in a way that is a little bit more than skin deep. Um, it's a little bit more than just, hey, how's it going? It's very much, hey, I'm really sorry. I, I know that you lost your job. How can I help? Or, you know, hey, I know that you're struggling with childcare. You know, can I, can I cook a meal for you and send it over? You know, or on the other foot, it, where you say, actually, hey, you know what? I've really, I've got this meeting today. Would you mind taking the dog out for me? You know, something like that with a friend or neighbor that you maybe wouldn't have otherwise been having these kind of more real conversations about your lives and, and your struggles and challenges as well as your successes. Um, and I think that now people are also, you know, celebrating kind of the smaller moments, you know, as, as being more meaningful, being more impactful. And I think that that's important as well. So yes, I think changes are happening, but um, you know, for me, Twitch, opened my eyes to the fact that this was happening in a way that because I was in my kind of pandemic isolation bubble, I didn't really see um, and I didn't really think was possible. So it's been really an incredible experience that I didn't anticipate. I definitely just kind of got thrown into some boiling water and was like, this will be fine. <laughs> and then um, it's just really kind of taken off. But it's, it's, been, it's been an incredible journey so far. Yeah, I mean, Twitch is is weird twitch in general and then and then mental health uh, for from my perspective is weird now I, I kind of come from the same idea of you know you don't you don't talk about your feelings because that's not that's not what it is and being male you mm -hmm. certainly don't talk about it. i mean uh, despite my kind of you know softy looks i you know i come from a martial arts and physical violence background that's you know it's steeped in toxic, uh, toxic masculinity you know you don't you don't have this idea of you know are you okay it's just you know get back up let's go again it's, you know it's, it's that attitude and um you know i am the poster boy for um privilege you know white male middle class um from the southeast it's you know i, I tick every fucking box and so most of this either doesn't affect me or actually makes me feel like I can't be affected. So when you, when you then talk about things, it's, and my, my father was from the, um, from uh, Yorkshire as well. So kind of from the second, born in the second world war. So it's that old school kind of, you know, come on lads, that's, you know, we don't, we don't talk about that. It's, it's that kind of, that kind of attitude that steeps in everything. And it's, it's hard to find that out there. And like you say, Twitch has been very helpful for me. I've certainly talked about things that I, I wouldn't have done beforehand. Um, it's always difficult, I think, in in normal life to do that for, for various reasons. One, you know, it's not part of the, the, the general consciousness that we do do that. And then also, um, if you come from any kind of privilege at all, it seems wrong to actually talk about because because of this positivity. And, I, you know, the positive you talk about, it's the kind of, Yes, but you know things can't be any bad for you. The thing that always really pisses me off is this um, first world problem that that response to stuff, because <laughs> that doesn't take account for a person's individual life. That's correct. Oh, that yeah. just wipes out everything by going, oh yeah, but you know your problems don't matter. Okay, then depression doesn't exist because that's exactly what the issue with depression is because that's the response to depression. Oh well, what's your problem that you shouldn't have any issues? And you can't just wipe something out by giving that blanket statement. It's not. You have to be specific to someone's degree. If you you know, if you look at um, 
so I went out of the ideas of some people there, Foucault, uh, Michel Foucault, um, and the Legree is basically the idea that um, our lives are a grid system and each bit of what we go through adds to the grid and that's our, you know, our life, our interaction with everything. And if we don't have that first, we can't really give that statement. Unfortunately, we all give that statement. At some point, we all have. And we all, at, at some point in our lives, have gone, ah, well, it, it doesn't matter. Let's, let's carry on. And for yourself, with um, the medical is issues and everything like that, it, it's, it, can, it must be so infuriating to have things like that. You know, oh, well, this could, the one that really fucks me off is, oh, I could be hit by, you could be hit by a bus tomorrow, right? fucking brilliant yeah but that's not helpful right now is it and it's not helpful for any future thinking this idea you know because for you um more than the many of us that idea isn't it's no more worrying than your day-to-day -day life so you know it it's for you your your your, your kind of medical issues um can be a bit of a ticking time bomb now i don't know if you want to go into recent events for you and if you don't want to that's absolutely fine um but obviously you've had um a further strain on your on your kind of mental health recently um and it's i mean i could give the the normal platitudes and pretend i understand it but i don't and you know nobody, nobody ever really will even if you do have the same kind of issues because it's just not how the fucking mind works. Um, but uh, did you want to kind of elaborate on why, f for you, it's had even more of an impact? I mean, you did kind of touch it a little bit earlier about the severity of, of lupus, but why for you, um, your mental health, I mean, I, I physically saw it because I, 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 on your Twitch channel, um, but kind of the effects it had in just you being able to even want to turn the camera on or even talk to people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I kind of mentioned that basically, you know, 18 months ago or something, I really wouldn't have even told anyone that I had lupus. I never really discussed my ASD and I ultimately, I spend a lot of time in a, you know, very professional environment, right? So there are very clearly established parameters, there are rules, there is structure, and in that particular state, I really thrive, right? Because I understand exactly how everything works. Um, <clears throat> and so, pardon me, in going into kind of some quote unquote real talk about lupus or about ASD or about my life generally, which is something that I, I never really did. And now all of a sudden, I'm very happy to actually talk about it all the time now, um, which I never imagined uh, would ever be the case. Um, so I've had a couple of really kind of close calls with my lupus. Um, so pretty much I take uh, two drugs very regularly. One of those is methotrexate, which is my immunosuppressant. I take it once a week. Uh, the dosages can vary, but essentially the easiest way to think about it is that if the, you can take anywhere between one and 10 tablets once a week, you take them all at once. And then you're just wrecked for like the whole next two days um, because essentially you're, you're, it is intentionally like messing with your body and your system. I think that a lot of us, as far as our interaction with prescription drugs um, is probably very limited, uh, which as you know, thankfully, based on the range of what is actually available out there. So when people are like, oh yeah, you know, I, I take prescriptions, then that means that you probably have taken an antibiotic you have probably taken a painkiller 
Um, and, and you maybe took some, some vitamins or a steroid pack when you were really ill. But the reality of prescription drugs is that they are designed to significantly and you know, chemically alter your physiology. And so, you know, for me, I take methotrexate once a week. Uh, the second drug that I take that I have actually had some trouble getting, um, which some of you might make this connection, some of you might not, no. is uh, hydroxychloroquine. Uh, hydroxychloroquine is the drug that was touted by uh, <clears throat> a certain establishment as being some sort of miracle cure for um, COVID-19. That is not true. Uh, yes, it was primarily developed as a malaria drug, but people with lupus um, or you know rheumatoid arthritis sufferers um, often take hydroxychloroquine as our daily drug to help manage our systems. Um, that is not really very widely available. It's produced by three major manufacturers globally. The largest of those is in India. They have a very limited supply of how much that they make, and now the demand far exceeds the supply. That is hugely problematic for people like me who now can't get it. Um, now, obviously here in the UK, it's a little bit different. Uh, obviously I pay only X amount for a prescription drug, uh, but otherwise the price is just absolutely skyrocketed. And um, like I said, the availability is very different, which has meant that my capacity to manage my own systems and to take my medication and to deal with my symptoms has now also altered. And at first I thought that was fine because I actually am still very new uh, to dealing with my lupus. And so I thought that, you know, well, I feel good. Look, I can open and close my whole hand today. I must be fine. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, I think, you know, when a doctor asks you, hey, what's your pain at on a one to 10 scale? I think the average person goes, oh, it's awful. I'm at a seven. I'm like, you have, n I really don't think that the average person has kind of experienced the full range of their pain threshold where, you know, you've been at the point where, well, you know what? I passed out and threw up. That's how much pain I was in. Where the, where the brain actually shuts itself down because it actually can't take any more input um, pain-wise. Uh, yeah, been there, done that. Um, it's horrendous. And so, you know, my kind of average day, I can experience anything, you know, from one to seven. Uh, but last week I had, poof, we blew through that seven. We blew through that seven. And so... Um, I very much thought, gosh, you know, I feel really terrible today. I can't imagine why this is. Forgetting, of course, that I have a long-term illness, <laughs> you know, and, and sometimes I think that because I was feeling pretty good, right? I was having these great conversations with people. I felt like I was really connecting. I didn't want to miss out. And there were kind of all these other um, contributing factors as to why I probably wasn't really listening to my body. And it was actually because I was feeling good, right? I felt good about myself. I felt good about my community. I felt good about kind of everything around me coming on the up and up. And um, I just was like, well, you know what? This is, this is a weird thing. This is a little bit different. Um, and so at first I was like, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'll just take a nap. Maybe I'll be fine. And then it just continued to escalate. And, and the pain was incredible. So it's kind of started out with just like extra pain and numbness in my hands. And then I felt like that I had this stabbing pain in my back. Turns out that's your liver. <laughs> and, um, you know, and then my, my chest felt like it was just being really compressed and, you know, not like I get anxiety, you know, in connection with my ASD and stuff, but this was different. This was really like, as I tried to take a full breath, my heart was racing. 
um, to the point where I was sweating. And here's the thing. Yeah, I wear Fitbit pretty regularly. I don't have it on right now. It's charging. But, you know, my, my resting heartbeat on average is extremely low. It's like 53. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't actually have an unhealthy heart. My blood pressure is quite low uh, naturally. Um, I mean, even though I, I put on weight because I had to take steroids and stuff, because again, steroids help manage inflammation. But even then, like just underneath the fluff, my, my, my muscles and my, my structures are really very, still very fit. And so um, my resting heartbeat is low, my blood pressure is low, but all of a sudden my heart was racing just absolutely through the roof. Uh, I was just like cold sweats constantly. And I was just like, this, this is so strange. Did I really do anything about it at first? Nope. Nope. Wasn't listening. Wasn't listening at all. Uh, and I have to say, I was really worried about missing out. And I think part of it was I had a lot of kind of fears and anxieties that were actually connected to my ASD and thinking I was going to lose my community. I was going to disappoint people. I wasn't going to be there for others. Um, and, and I then wasn't taking care of myself, but you can't serve other people, you know, if you aren't also well, and so um, I didn't listen to any of that. So um, eventually I did call and I was just like, hey, I, <clears throat> I'm having kind of a bad day. And they were like, hey, well, you know what? You're scheduled to come in for some blood tests. So, you know what? That's fine. Why don't you just come on in and, and we'll, just, we'll just have a look at what's going on. Like within hours, I was in really deep shit, yeah. right? basically. Um, like I, I kind of, obviously I know it's quite a, a harsh and vulgar way to phrase it, but I was, I was dying. I've been far more vulgar. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, my, my body, my body was shutting down. It, it was immediately like, oh yeah, this was fine. I can't believe that I was just like, well, I'll, I'll wait this out. I'll go tomorrow. I'll stream tonight and I'll see everybody. And, um, and I'll, I want to hang out with my friends and I want to see all these people. And then, um, if I had waited, that would have been it. I would have been burnt toast, like, like soggy bread. I was, I would have been really done um, because extremely high fever. Uh, my blood pressure was completely out of control. Uh, my heart was out of control. My body was under this huge amount of stress essentially because it was attacking itself. Right. So my blood cells were, they were just leading a campaign, just absolutely just slash and burn through my body. Um, that could have been brought on for a couple of reasons. Uh, it might be that, you know, kind of in the normal course of seasonal changes, you know, we come across a little, a little cold virus, right? I'm not talking Corona. We're not talking about anything super serious, but um, for me, a cold can be super serious, right? Norovirus um, is something that I think we all pick up kind of once or twice throughout the year. You get a stuffy nose, a chest infection or whatever. Um, most of us just get over it. Most of us don't even take any time off work, right? We just kind of crack on. Um, but for me, actually, a, a cold can be lethal, right? For me, something like that can set off a chain reaction that is so far outside of my control and things just really spiral. And that might have been what happened here. Um, it might also be um, indicative of something that is, a, you know, a little bit worse. Um, and so, you know, obviously going through a lot of tests. Um, regularly, I have echocardiograms um, to find out whether or not my heart is dying. Um, I get blood tests, like I said, every three months anyway. I get my vision checked regularly because the medication that I take essentially, you know, erodes everything that's happening in my eyeball. It seems like a crazy thing. Like, well, how would you lose your vision for medication? But this is what I was saying. Like, ultimately, there are so many side effects. There's so many knock-ons to 
essentially me just doing things that are going to guarantee my basic survival, that they do come at a cost. Um, and, and often that cost is quite severe. And so um, I didn't realize, right? I, I had not really been paying very close attention to my health, partly because I was feeling good and also partly because I felt guilty for needing medical care when there were people dying of COVID-19. I felt guilty um, for forever, you know, being a burden on the system, on anyone around me, on needing additional support. Um, but ultimately, like I need it. My body is breaking down. My body will eventually give out. And so despite the fact that it seems like everything is fine and you should be fine, you know, you're young and that by all outward appearances, right, I seem healthy. I look normal. You know, I largely, I mean, until you have to speak with me, I appear neurotypical. I don't walk around with ticks. I, you know, I look like everybody else for the most part. Now you will never catch me on public transport. Can't do it. You will never catch me in a lot of spaces. Can't do it. You will never find me at a grocery store on a weekend. Can't do it. Um, but unless you know that about me, by all appearances, I'm absolutely fine. Right. I'm, I'm clean. I'm well put together. I'm, I'm a girl, so it's easier for people to think I'm fine. Um, you know, just as long as your hair's not crazy and, and you know, you've, you've got decent clothes on, people just assume everything's fine. Um, and that makes it easier also for me to fool myself, which plays into some of the mental health issues, right? Where you want to be fine. You don't always want to, to check in with yourself or to spend any time I think being appropriately introspective, right? I'm not saying we should all sit here and just be super critical of every moment of every day. Um, but yeah, so uh, I found myself kind of laying in hospital, very, very concerned that I had messed up, that I had taken the chances that I had worked so hard to cultivate and just thrown them away. Um, and that I was going to miss out on huge portions of my future a future that I thought that I had kind of been working to guarantee by, you know, again, taking my medications, trying to do all the right things, not leaving the house for six months because death inevitable, those sorts of things. And then here I was dying anyway. And, um, you know, at that point, you know, I think a lot of us have a moment where we have to face our own mortality. I think that happens whether let's just say you're in a bad car wreck. Let's say, you know, um, you experience someone close to you being very ill, let's just say something, something around you environmentally impacts that perspective, right? Um, but I think it's not always our own perspective, right? I think sometimes it might just be something we witness, but then when you're in there and it's happening to you and, you know, you hear the machines beeping and, you know, you, the noises of hospitals are, are very kind of unique, right? In the sense that there, it's just, life and death happening simultaneously in this tiny box all over you all around you everywhere um and and that all of these experts and all of these you know medical professionals who are you know doing their best for everyone around them are just kind of buzzing in and out of your life as it as it passes and i for me i thought a lot about you know well gosh i won't be getting married if i die uh, I won't be having children if I die. I won't be able to do a lot of the things that I had kind of only just started to envision as possible for my life again. 
uh, things that I thought I would never do, things I thought I'd never have access to, um, that recently I thought, you know what, that's possible. I can do that. This is one of those dominoes that I'm going to try to stand back up. This is one of those things I'm going to work towards. If I don't have access to future alpha, then I'm going to take on future Bravo, future Charlie, future Delta as I move forward, you know, and that as, as each of those maybe doesn't work out or, you know, maybe has to alter for some reason, hey, no problem. I'm going to try to be adaptable. And then suddenly the whole alphabet of options just seem to disappear. And, um, you know, during the pandemic, we obviously looks like, you know, I have a nice house and I live with nice things, but, you know, most of my house is empty. Uh, you know, we really struggled. And I think, like you were saying, that when you check all those privilege boxes, people just assume you're fine. You know, they're like, oh, you've got a roof over your house. You're fine, right? I Honestly, that's that's not really enough when your refrigerator is empty for like a week at a time. It's not really enough when, um, because you also feel the social pressure to appear a certain way, to be a certain way, um, that it makes it difficult to ask for help. It makes it difficult to accept help. And so, you know, it in one way, um, here I was thinking, gosh, I don't really know how I'm going to come out of the other side of this because here I am, I'm really sick. How am I ever going to have, you know, a, a job where I can provide for myself and my family? How am I ever going to say, you know, I can make the responsible choice about having children because I can afford to support them in their future? How can I ever say that, you know, I'm not making these decisions for what I wanted for my life because, you know, I'm not selfish because they all sound very, very selfish um, when I'm just like, well, I'm really ill. So, you know, what kind of right do I get to have to a family where I'm going to be the burden or a future where I'm going to be a burden or a workplace where I have to be supported? And so uh, I just thought, well, this is it. Somebody might as well just turn off the machine, take off my, you know, electrodes, monitoring my heart, pull the IV out. There's no point. Just let it kill me. Uh, that's what happens. Lupus, lupus becomes systemic. It kills your organs and then you die. It's awful. It's painful. They tend to go in a series. You'll lose, you know, your kidneys and liver because partly they're already under attack because they have to filter out and deal with all the medications that you take, but it's a trade-off, right? So does your heart die first or do your kidneys die first? You know, does your brain get eaten up with fever? Uh, because again, uh, lupus is an inflammatory disorder. You know, so does that inflammation uh, eat away at your mind until it's just completely gone and you can't even remember what you did this morning? Which for me is really scary. I base a lot of uh, how I feel about myself based on, you know, my intelligence and and how I value myself is basically largely based on kind of how clever I am. Um, I'm not saying that I'm a genius by any means, but, you know, I've, I'm pretty book smart, at least life smart. Ooh. <laughs> but book smart yeah absolutely um you know i've been told i'm pretty clever and i've got some pretty neat ideas about the world um but all of a sudden uh, i find myself you know when i'm on certain you know when i'm on my medications at certain doses or when i'm really struggling when i've got a fever i don't know who i am mm. i don't know i couldn't tell you anything about the world i can't think right and and it's 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 really difficult and so yeah i just thought you know what this is it so like I mean, honestly, I'm still struggling with it, you know, because last week I, I was ready to die. And now this week I'm not dead. So how do you then reconcile those two things? How do you then say, um, how do I move forward when last week I was giving up 
when you know last wednesday i i cared more about kind of getting back to my friends online and because i didn't want to let them down ultimately i was letting myself down almost ruined what future i do have moving forward um and then even after that then i was just sat there thinking like okay well you know what this is going to be what's next for me then what's the point i'm 30 i had a good run <laughs> i you know i've i've done a lot of things i've i've seen a lot of the world that's it i'm might as well. I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to live the rest of my life this way. So what's next for me? Uh, you know, I'm clearly not able to provide myself, not able to provide for others. So what's the point? Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I remember obviously when you were ill and, and, and took a little bit off and I, I believe your community's response was shut the fuck up. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> accurate. That's accurate. <laughs> Um, you know, it, it, it's difficult. I mean, for you, there's a, there's a, a few different issues, obviously. So for those that don't um, know much about ASD as well, um, there's a thing called mirroring, which effectively um, most people with ASD do to a point without even noticing, um, especially if it's undiagnosed, which is where we effectively imprint ourselves onto a certain person's way of thinking. Um, so especially if you have other mental health issues it can be helpful because it also effectively becomes a mask so you reflect back what you either at one point thought was right or just assume should be the better part of you um, and for some obscure reason all the research shows that um, for females mirroring is either far more effective or at least it isn't picked up as much by the people. Mm -hmm. So um, women always come across as um, seeming more neurotypical than um, men who, men are either just seen as weird um, <laughs> or arrogant. It's, it, mm. you know, it seems to be that thing, um, which isn't good either, but at least there's something to be recognized. But for, for women, there's, there's nothing to be recognized. And of course, um that's an issue as well because there's that's what you're kind of you're showing and then when you try and interact with anything with colleagues at university with um you know day-to-day -day life that's an issue for you um and the problem for you is as well is that I, I was describing this as um as depression to to someone the other day is that um for you your body and your mind are seemingly both working together to attack you because um the difference between um I, I would say against being down and being depressed is being down can be dependent on the weather on you know something that's happened you can be down because your favorite tv show is, is finished it doesn't mean you're depressed um but the difference is is that depression is when your mind goes fuck you i hate you not you know that kind of thing and unfortunately for you as well is that your your body seems to be trying to do the same thing um, which, you know, your body and mind are both going, fuck you, and you're trying to fight back against it. And that's going to become more and more difficult. Um, and obviously that's just hard because for, for most people, if one part of you is saying that, the other part can lift you up. You know, if your mind's attacking you, then at least, um, you, you know, as cliched as it is, if you're, if you're healthy, there's at least you can kind of go, okay, let's go for a run. Let's try and just try and do something or let's just, you know, and there's that or um, the other way around. If your body's attacking you, you still have your mind. And you and like you say, it's, it's difficult when they're, they're both there. Um, has it been 
worrying for you that what has become your one of your coping mechanisms seems to also be something that's detrimental to a point because you say yourself that you didn't want to let anybody down um and actually if you hadn't made that phone call if you had have just gone online like you said that could have been that could have been it and that was your your coping mechanism of I'm okay. I'm trying to, I'm going to get through this because of this. And actually that became a problem as well as them being the thing you went on to afterwards when you were, you know, when things were better to kind of reconnect again. So does that worry you at all that that's got that flip side to it? Yeah, absolutely. Because at the moment, basically, I think the reason that I kind of was was feeling like mentally very dehydrated and very like desperate to be back, desperate to reconnect, um, is because it it's like my only coping mechanism at the moment. And so, you know, just kind of like for me, like with ASD, with the auditory stimulus kind of being my my big trigger, right? I get desperate for the quiet. I mean, really, like I have to unplug I don't want any input like I'm talking like not necessarily kind of dark you know sit in the room in a dark corner or anything but I really have to completely unplug I don't want any stimulus and so that sort of same sort of mental desperation that I previously have kind of experienced in you know in other parts of other facets of my life suddenly I was feeling that sort of same desperation to be back that same desperation to talk to people um that you know I don't I'm not I'm not actually the most social person. Um, I think that, you know, like you said, one, like for me, I got my diagnosis mostly because I had communication issues when I was young, right? So because, again, kind of came from a very privileged place, I, the headmaster at my school uh, had a son who was autistic. Um, so they were basically able to recognize that there were certain things that I was very, very good at. And then there were other huge parts of my life that were lacking, not just in a normal developmental way where, you know, oh, kids a little bit behind, like, oh no, like I wasn't happening. <laughs> so um, I was very, very lucky. Um, and so that in that way, like I, I have a lot of coping skills. I had a lot of support in other ways. Right. But that that also means, though, that there are some things that I'm not always going to be good about recognizing about myself or, or kind of managing myself. And I think that the social sphere is the is the area that I have the least amount of experience and therefore also the least amount of understanding. Right. And so when I had this like desperate need to get back, this desperate need to connect, it's partly because I don't really have that. Um, I don't really get that in my everyday life. I, I never really have. You know, I had a lot of trouble with bullies at school, even at university. <laughs> Who gets bullied in a postgrad program? Right here. <laughs> right here. It was really bad. And, um, and I know that happens to a lot of people, but it was to the point where, you know, I couldn't cope with it. I couldn't understand what was happening, why it was happening. I, I don't get it. And so then when I had this space where I felt very safe and very comfortable. And that for the first time, kind of in my whole life that I was genuinely connecting with people, I craved that, like an unbelievable craving for that security. Um, and I think that for me, it is worrisome because it makes me concerned about like, what happens if my health turns again and I can't be here and I don't have this outlet. It also makes me worry with what happens if 
something happens in my community and it implodes for some reason, right? Or for whatever reason, you know, maybe some toxicity takes root, you know, how, how am I going to, to cope with that or to manage that, you know, kind of within the space? Um, because you do kind of become responsible for, for the evolution and the growth in your community, if you're essentially the host um, of that space. And so I, you know, I think that I didn't really think about a lot of these things and how dependent I would be on them. Um, like I said, partly because I just kind of dove into it. I had no idea kind of what was happening. Um, it was, like I said, I originally was there to support a friend. And then because I kind of was to rediscovering video games and like I said, my interaction with them previously had been very, very limited. And all of a sudden I had this new outlet. I had this new form of escapism, right? Versus where before, you know, I love to read. I love to spend a lot of time, not necessarily like a huge movie watcher or TV watcher, but uh, I love to read and the things that I did like to do, whether it be, you know, sports or adventure or photography or whatever, um, all of that was escapism, essentially. And, you know, then having access to Twitch also became a form of, es of escapism. Is that a double-edged sword? Yes. Does it mean that I'm not always dealing with my reality? Yes. Can that be especially dangerous for someone like me? As I saw last week, 100%. 100%. Um, does that help me realize that I need to be more aware and more engaged with myself and with what's going around, you know, uh, kind of in my bubble? Yes. Do I know how to kind of deal with that moving forward? No. I have no idea kind of what that will mean for me um, because it is scary to kind of realize that, Hey, if I'm really dependent on this, what happens if it all goes to shit? Mm. What happens if it falls apart? What happens if as the community grows, it just, you know, doesn't work out or what happens if the community doesn't grow? What happens if it shrinks and everybody disappears and they move on with their lives? Where, where will I be then? You know, how will I feel about the fact that, you know, I thought I had maybe, made friends or connected with people and then they all disappear from my life you know how will I feel about that um especially when I don't always understand as fully or as completely as maybe a neurotypical person so I am absolutely really worried about that um I don't yeah I don't really have any sort of thoughts on on how I can work on this or how I can balance this except for the fact that I just you know I don't stream every day I stream three times a week because I'm I, I do need time to unplug I do need time to decompress um you know I spend a lot of time hanging out uh, in other people's content I spend a lot of time in other people's communities um so in a way I'm kind of never unplugged um and I know that a lot of people talk about that in other societies obviously like i know um from my time like living in japan and you know working there and having friends there and actually family there because uh, my grandmother was japanese um you know there were huge like pushes from the government to get people unplugged because it had gone so far the other way um so am i worried about it yes do i see how far it can go wrong yes did i almost die because i wasn't listening to myself and to my needs yes um so I, I don't have a solution, but I, I am worried about it. Um, but I think that mental health check-ins uh, like you host, and I think that, you know, people being willing to have these conversations where I think previously we weren't, previously we weren't engaging, uh, we weren't really interested in kind of looking more critically 
at situations more than just kind of surface level what things are and aren't that I think that all of that is really useful as far as being able to move forward in a healthy way where you can kind of get an appropriate level of engagement, an appropriate level of connectivity um, versus where it doesn't have to be, which is sort of my great curse, is it doesn't have to be zero or a hundred. I have, I have real difficulty finding the middle ground. I either do something at a hundred percent and it's, I completely one track and I put all of everything that I have into that, all the spoons, get thrown into one drawer, right? But alternatively, if I can't give something 100%, then I just won't do it, um, you know? So that, that's kind of where I'm at. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm super stressed about it, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's, it, it sounds like your, your body and your mind are trying to play ping pong with you, which is, um, you know, shit, um, to put it bluntly. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest problem, obviously, for yourself, and it is in general, and I think people don't understand, um, is because your 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 health issues are there, and you, you they've got to be dealt with in some way, whether badly, whether well, whatever. But the problem for you is, even if you do try and deal with them in a good way, your ISD is is the barrier. Um, and even now, people do not understand asd so you know i'll reiterate or asd is autism it's just a new term people just don't get it they just don't um and even now we have people that have that just don't they don't get mental health they don't they don't think it's real i know, I know nurses and doctors that don't think mental health is real um you know i, I have people come into my into my community that kind of go oh well the gp's done this and I, say, I don't fucking care because the gp isn't a mental health professional gp is a medical professional not a mental health professional Two different things you cannot assume from what one says that the other is going to say the same because they're just not the same correct um, oh yeah and the, the amount of times i've had it and you know you said about social i get mistaken for being social because where i am and the university map people know who i am but they don't but they know who i am because i'm the one that's seen as being grumpy and complaining that's the reputation I have is that I'm complaining and I'm always the one that will go and have a go at someone. And I'm all that. And I'm like, yes, now, now break that down and add in ASD and you'll realize, no, no, if you do something wrong, I tell you, that's all. So if something's wrong, I deal with it. I'm the one because I don't have that neurotypical hang up of say, of going, Oh, well, I don't think we should tell them. It's like, no, it's wrong. Fuck you. It's wrong. That is wrong. Um, and so that's my reputation. So I'm seen as being social. Actually, my private life and my life in general in, in public are completely separate. People generally don't interact. I never, I've, I don't really have, um, never really had friends over to my old house. I don't really have friends here because that's, people don't get that. I don't understand why that should be a thing. I don't see that that's, this is, this Fuck, no, I talk to you out, out there. That's where you are. Um, and I think people get very confused by that. And that's just me. And I don't, I have other mental health issues, but I don't have any, um, you know, health issues. I don't have any physical issues. And then for somebody like yourself, where, like I say, the mirroring means that people don't even see that. They just see, you know, the, the blank slate that they want to see. Um, and then you're having to fight it in the background. It is a, it's a ping pong game that your, your, your mind's going, yeah, well, we'll throw it back at your, 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 um, you know, your body and your body's trying to deal with it and then your ASD is getting in the way and you can't then communicate to other people. Um, and like you say, with the community, it is, it is a, 
it can be a worry for you and going forward is always an issue and of course because we know that that twitch for instance which is where both of us found a community um has more than doubled in its users over covid and so yes there's there's always the worry that someone's going to disappear tomorrow um hope to think that that's not necessarily going to happen um you know i i, I still don't quite know what the hell happened that made me affiliate but um it's it just seems to it's just come there and it's 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 a continuing worry f f for you um and i think it's it's very good that you have a community that does just go look fuck off and get some rest or look you know if you're having issues i mean obviously you kind of uh wore your heart a little bit the other day on your stream and said about things and the community just went all right fine we've got you um but that's not expected and you don't necessarily that's not something you go oh well i'm i'm okay i can carry on and this is what's going to happen because that's not how it's not how it works it's not how it works for you and for you you don't know what's next and obviously um i don't know how much of a specific worry because i i know the drugs because i used to work for a pharmaceuticals company so i know the drugs but i don't know how much of an issue specifically obviously the orangutan in a suit has caused for you um with hydroxychloroquine um you know, I, is is that a concern that's 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 added on? Because obviously, it's even more because for you, COVID is a worry anyway. Because you are one of those that's had to effectively go into isolation because it's it's attacking you, and now you find that the you know the the fucking tangerine with a face has now taken away something that's actually going to you know that is a day to day thing for you is now even added on again because of COVID, is that something that, you know, COVID has now meant that you you have about 50 different reasons that you need it to end for you, rather than just the, well, I don't want to go outside. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. So like I, you know, I kind of mentioned, like you, like you said, you know, about like hydroxychloroquine specifically. Um, 100%, uh, not only is this because this is like my professional field that I work in, um, you know, as in an, you know, as an analyst and as well as like, a, you know, kind of doing policy advice and things like that. And, you know, writing these sorts of things up that allegedly people read and allegedly people care about and allegedly people take into account, uh, you know, when, when writing policy or, or caring about what, you know, people like me have to say, which seems less and less the case, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, you know, academics primarily write for other academics, right? Nobody else cites me nobody from government's like oh you know what we should really get her opinion on this thing you know that would that seems like it would be useful as they're an area expert no one is like that i only go to conferences where i speak to other people who are just like me on subjects that you know they are equally niche in and that ultimately the only people who ever care about what they have to say who ever cite their work who ever take any notice of their research or take any notice of their findings or care about their theories are other people who are just like us um and so it is very frustrating. Um, you know, I, I have, I've kind of mentioned this before, what, you know, I'm, I'm really very much on the cusp of leaving academia. I'm very much on the cusp of, you know, cause the better part of a decade, this is what I have been doing professionally. And like you said, I think that a lot of people, uh, when you have ASD, they, they very much, um, project what they want to see in you onto you, not necessarily seeing who you are. Now, obviously I'm very, very guilty of kind of 
emulating everyone around me. So if, if they're expecting me to be type A, high speed, top of the class leader, that is often who people perceive me to be. I don't help myself by being president of everything and, you know, always taking on, you know, being head of committees and, and leading organizations and, you know, starting foundations. I, I don't help myself, um, but ultimately it's hugely exhausting. Um, it takes such a personal investment from, from me. Um, and obviously it would take a personal investment from anyone, but it's so much more than that because then when people look at me, they're like, you can't, have ASD because you do all of these things. You can't have ASD because actually you're a great public speaker and you go to conferences and, and you lead talks and you know you publish regularly. Like what, 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 what you can't possibly have anything wrong with you. Well, I do. <laughs> and um, you know, so it's it it is very difficult when you are kind of really on the ground and in and amongst it, where for me. It is not just something that I watch on the news. It's not something that I have a laugh about um, when the newest headline comes up about what a nightmare is happening in the United States right now. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time, especially on, you know, developmental issues. I spend a lot of time dealing with human security issues and, you know, people often think like, oh, so you look at like statecraft and like, you know, what's going on in South Sudan. I, I wrote on like uh, some of the conflict issues there and conflict deaths there. It's super depressing. Don't read it. Um, and, you know, oh, Yemen and, you know, oh, Southeast Asia. And I'm like, or Detroit or Flint, Michigan, or, you know, so much of, you know, 80% that isn't New York City, which people forget that America is a huge place and that our entire country is smaller than most of their states. And, you know, that they have huge very complex social issues that are very dynamic depending on geographically where you are located, depending on, you know, the government uh, between the local state and federal levels and that these, everything that's happening in America is so much more dynamic, I think, than it's not as, well, I guess I'll say it's not as top down as it seems right now. Obviously there is a huge issue with the current administration. I personally have a huge issue with the current administration, um, but I also have a huge issue with kind of uh, politics in the United States generally. Um, you know, I don't, we could do a whole separate podcast on this. We could, I, I could deep dive. I won't, but I could. Um, yeah, the, the issue with both of us having um, undergraduate and postgraduate <laughs> degrees in the political field would be an issue for that one, yeah. We're <laughs> immediately like, yes, let's talk about this. Um, we like, can't stop ourselves. It's what we do professionally. We're like, all right, let's go. Um, oh, yeah, no. Um, but yes, it is a huge worry. Um, so like I said, my, mother's, uh, my mother lives in the United States. Uh, and so... Uh, you know, she's now since my mother's like 65. She's now since retired um, from, you know, kind of practicing. She was in orthopedics and things like that, so surgery and things. Um, but she's since retired. And so now she just does physical therapy. You know, she develops special things for old people who have vertigo and custom orthotic. I, you know, it's boring technical stuff. But, but ultimately she's like, don't come back. Um, you know, so uh, my father passed very suddenly two years ago. And so I think very much, I feel like, oh, I should go back. I should help take care of my mother. I should be there. I should support her. I should be there full time. And she's like, no, 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 please don't. You'll die. Um, because obviously, as we have all seen, the United States has 
probably, I haven't looked at the numbers this morning, but 215,000 COVID deaths. Over 200,000 people have died in what is supposed to be, you know, the idyllic first world country. How, how can people reconcile those two things? How can people say that, that that's true of America when you have 200,000 dead Americans? Um, you know, we fought a 20 year war in the Middle East over 3000 dead Americans. Mm. Now we have 200,000 dead Americans and nobody cares. Uh, and so I, I can't go back. I can't get care that I need. You hear things coming out of this administration that they don't realize are globally impactful. Um, and I think that that just kind of speaks to their ignorance. It speaks to how much they don't understand. Uh, I think about international relations and about global politics, about, you know, the international political economy, because all of these things are interconnected. All of these things matter. So what they say there matters to people like me here who need to get this all started because we were talking about hydroxychloroquine. Um, but yes, it matters because people like me um, and people all over the world subsequently are struggling to get drugs that we need for survival. We are now struggling to get care that we need that is critical to whether or not we continue living in a way that is sustainable or that is honestly something that I'd even want to keep doing. Um, because I think that, you know, when I was really, really ill, like I said, I was at the point where I was like, well, this is it. Somebody just pop that, pop that switch. I'm done. Right. I'm, I'm done. And, you know, it, it is partly because one, the pain eats at you full time. And obviously when your body is in pain, that causes your brain to release you know, stress hormones and things like that. So your brain is constantly trying to cope with the fact that you are getting, you know, input from your body that says something is wrong with us. So you're constantly under stress. You, uh, you know, and not in a way that like, oh, I've had a bad day, I'm stressed. No, like my body thinks that, you know, this is happening. So my brain responds with what would otherwise be the appropriate biological response to physical pain. Uh, which means that they're dumping a bunch of chemicals into my brain. So does that mean that I can then also manage my mental health the same way that a normal person can? No, because chemically, my brain is different. Chemically, I can't always affect or change what's happening to me without having access to the proper medicine, without having access to proper healthcare, without having access to a GP who listens to me more than just like, oh, well, well, you know, we'll just see how it goes next week. See if, tell me, call me back if you're not feeling any, you know, if you're not feeling any better, mm. fuck off. Like this is a current pressing daily problem for me. I live moment to moment and I can be fine in, in, I can be fine from one to 2 PM and from two to 3 PM, I, I won't be able to get up off the floor. Like, are you kidding me? Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's hugely problematic. I think that, um, I know we were talking about uh, the other day on your stream about how, you know, that's the Southwest, you know, has kind of taken a more proactive approach um, to mental health generally. I, I, oh, I think it still depends. I think it, it, there are so many variables, right. That um, are critical to whether or not an individual is able to get the care that they need. Um, you know, we have a whole like mental health kind of separate ward in, and diagnostic I guess, clinic essentially in Western, I think, which is the 
uh, unit that is associated with uh, North Somerset. And so, um, you know, yes, it's available. Can you get in there? No, absolutely not. Uh, you know, so my, my partner has terrible PTSD and anxiety. Um, you know, he was in Northern Ireland and, you know, regardless of how people feel about that, the point is, you know, he did like six tours there. And, you know, I personally have had, you know, friends uh, die in the conflict in the Middle East that I knew intimately and, you know, that I had experiences with. Like I said, you know, I was on, on track to be a soldier and, you know, that I was, you know, really integrated into those communities I had experienced with these, uh, with these young men and women. And um, to get sort of health or support around mental health is still difficult, even in this country where it's quote unquote available. And so, yeah, absolutely. Is going back to America an option for me? Well, technically, when my visa runs out, uh, obviously, despite the fact that I, I grew up here and everything, you know, my parents are Americans. Um, so I have an American passport. Uh, you know, so if I basically come out and say, hey, I'm not going to study anymore, or I'm not going to work for you anymore, then they go, right, you've got 60 days, get out. And I'm like, well, if I go back to America, I'm going to die. So you, ha you end up having no choice but to keep on performing for the system that supports you, even if that system is broken, even if that system actually isn't helping you and isn't supporting you, you know, when the alternative is potentially going into an environment that is extremely hazardous for a variety of reasons, you have no choice but to just keep, keep on keeping on, right? Because there's not really an alternative. So even in a country like, you know, here in the UK, whether, you know, you're in Scotland, you know, England, Wales, wherever, there are still limitations that need to be addressed. There are still gaps that need to be filled because essentially um, I think the reality of the care compared to what it looks like on paper are very, very different. So the way that the system appears in a PowerPoint presentation versus how the individuals in various communities get to interact with that system, we very much have an agent structure problem that I think is, is largely not addressed. And I think that largely people are very ignorant of, or they at least, maybe I would say are willfully ignorant. They, want, they don't want to know where and why things are broken. And, uh, and like you said, you know, you're the first person to say, if something's not working, or if something is broken, or something is wrong, that you will speak up and that you will say so. But I think a lot of time, times people who do make those statements people who do come forward and say there are issues with um this particular set of rules there are issues with this particular organization there are issues with this particular approach um are shut down as being the ones who are actually problematic and i'm like well that's some toxicity we just don't need if we're going to actually make this better but no one's actually interested in making it better no one is interested yeah i mean it's it's yeah, I, the, the, on the last statement, definitely. I think that the problem with um, people, and like we said, people see what they want to in someone with ASD a lot of times. Um, and, you know, I'm a six foot two, broad shouldered. I'm, so people want to assume that anything I'm going to do is an attack. And it's much easier to, to see it like that because then it's easier to shut down. Oh, mm. well, they're just problem. I, you know, I, I literally had um, someone say to me who had just taken over in a role um and were were told basically it's, it's easier to just deal with adam um and th th then trying to argue with him and i was like okay and then i was told by that person they were terrified of dealing with me because um the the reputation that came with me was that i was going to fight them on everything and it's like you're doing the job why the f what, what the fuck why would i 
you know, but if, but then, you know, I've had where the university's been wrong in the past when I was with my ex. And so I went ape shit to the point where I'm pretty, I, I think I've got someone fired because you're not doing your fucking job. So th there's difference, but people want to reflect what they want. And I understand that's, that's a problem. But um, yeah, the, the, the Southwest, uh, I think I also pointed out that although it is making steps, Mm. was immediately <laughs> backlashed against and in fact the the idea but because the idea for anyone that was wondering the idea was basically that um in the southwest they were going to um bump mental health issues higher on the list of let's see you you know if you're if you're suicidal if you have deep depression if you're you know whether it's a result of covid or not you have an issue that we need to deal with let's deal with it sooner because you actually are potentially at more risk than some other people. Um, the, the reason I heard about that was because the BBC came out and put radical change. And it's like, for fuck's sake, all they're doing is dealing with people who need help. It is not radical change. Yeah. That is normal change. That is just what <laughs> should be happening. So yeah, I mean, I did say, I, I think I backed it up with it. Yeah, it is, it is looking to change. But at the same time, there's a backlash and a pushback against it. So, you know, it's you can be you can be better than other parts of the country. But at the same time, if the whole rest of the country is a shit show at it, then you being a little bit better is just a it, it, you know it, it's not that much better. I, yeah, I, absolutely. <laughs> Scotland seems to have, I, and I've spoken to people up there to kind of back up that I'm not just talking on my ass. Is, is Scotland seems to be in the UK at least the best for mental health. Even I was talking to someone on the stream the other day actually. Even in the Highlands, they were like someone was coming round regularly, and I was like, "What the fuck? You're the, you're the Highlands, the top of Scotland, and you have a better mental health system than down here." Because I've I've literally had it where I've heard police picking people up that have run away from hospital, telling them, oh, if we had more staff, you'd probably be sectioned. One, don't fucking say that to people that you've just picked up because they've run away from hospital. And two, that should not be an issue, that the staffing should not be an issue. Um, so it's, 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 a massive, it's a massive problem with, with, with ASD and everything like that. Uh, and yeah, like you say, for you, um, there's there's a lot of kind of other factors that come into it because of of your health issues and you know little comments from um idiots that don't know better i i mean it's when when um donald uh, trump was calling everyone out to to um for an iq test to prove that he was so smart i i literally did the same to him i just put on i just put on twitter all right then i'll i'll, I'll do one with you um <laughs> but it's the guy's a fucking idiot but um we won't go into that too much but um I'm, uh, there's all my lectures from universities going use your words better than that Adam. um but you know that there is this this issue that a lot of people especially on in the republican party in america um have it as oh yeah but you just like the other lot because they they look better and so it's it's um you know it's not substance it's just it's just you know flash and i'm like yes but as you say words mean something especially in political capital they mean a lot especially from a country that is the one that is uh, perceived if nothing else as being the leader in all of this you know one or two words of what they're going to do can crash the stock market across the world 
Um, and so for, for someone like you, it is, it is a massive issue. And the idea that you should have to back and forth about even returning to a country where your mum is, is, is a problem. Um, I think unless you have anything more to kind of put, I think that's probably an, an appropriate place to stop before we get into a completely different discussion. <laughs> um, I, I mean, is, was there anything else that you'd kind of like to say to anybody watching or, or anything else at all? I think that my, the one thing that I would say to everyone is probably just to spend time checking in with yourself. I think that, you know, it's, it's a difficult time as far as acknowledging where we are all at, where we might, um, you know, be lacking, where we might be succeeding. Um, I don't think any of us like to actually spend a lot of time looking at, in the mirror so much. Um, and I think that, you know, kind of regardless of where we're all at on our personal journeys, I do think it's important to check in. I do think it's important um, that we spend time kind of saying, hey, well, you know what? Maybe I should look a little bit more closely at this. Maybe I should listen to, my, to myself and to my experiences a little bit more closely. Um, and again, that's just completely from, you know, my own perspective, my own experience where I'm saying, you know what? This probably would have been really helpful to know this probably would have changed my approach here or, or maybe that, you know, moving into the, to the next situation, I can, you know, be a little bit more conscious of what I, you know, should or shouldn't do or should or shouldn't say these sorts of things. Um, but yeah, I would just say, you know, check in with yourself, check in with your friends and family. And I would also just say, you know, try to be authentic and try, you know, to not be focused necessarily on the keep calm and carry on. Um, because I think that each of our realities is very different. And I think that acknowledging that uh, is pretty much the only healthy way uh, to move forward, especially when it comes to different communique styles and, you know, kind of trying to empathize and sympathize with, the, with those around us and with the world around us. So, yeah, that's, that's all I would just say. It's just we need to all kind of be a little bit more aware, a little bit more mindful. And I think that, um, you know, Adam's podcast and the, the work that people like him are doing to try to, you know, raise awareness um, in a very real way where we're having very real conversations and hearing about people's experiences and perspectives is kind of all we can do um, to try to increase those skills, try, try to, to understand a little bit more um, than maybe we did yesterday. And I think that that's super important. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, there's, there's not a lot I can add on to that. I think uh, checking in with yourself. Um, I, I, I do have Twitch and, and a mental health and things like that. Um, I will repeat the same as I do on Twitch. I'm just a man with a cam. Um, it's, you know, it's about everyone else. The check-in is with you guys. So um, do that check-in with yourselves. Um, I do it once a week on Twitch purely because it seemed obvious because nobody else seemed to be doing it for themselves. So um, absolutely, you know, have that time where you look in the mirror and you have that introspection and whether it's, you know, because you are not necessarily looking after yourself as Lee has shown, it can be an issue where actually once you look at yourself and once you start to have that introspection, you start to go, oh shit, there's, there's more wrong here than I, than I realized I need to deal with this. Um, or it could be you have an introspection and actually realise you're happier than you thought you were. You know, this doesn't always mean that you're discovering some nasty, dark part of your mind. It can be that it seems like a really bad day and then you have this introspection and look at the past week or look at a promotion and actually you suddenly go, oh, actually, no, that, that, that's fine. That, cool, right. 
so you know have this introspection just look at things because even moving forward and um talking to others a lot of people go oh yes you should talk to others and i agree you should but unless you really know what the either one issue or the celebration should be what do you have to talk to others about you need to know yeah. first that's what the introspection should be about um but anyway thank you very much for joining me lee um that's uh, been very interesting we've had our um tangents as always happens with podcasts i think should always happen with podcasts um you, you know i think your um your your way of talking things are probably a little bit more um eloquent than potentially i've put it in this podcast but there we go um but uh, yeah so um we will be back hopefully uh, next week everyone i'm not entirely sure who the guest will be i think it's going to be um a, a canadian who um has background in uh, thanatology and um uh, uh, Catholicism in theology um, I'll be talking to him I'm hoping that's going to be the case um, but thank you again Lee and um, hopefully this has been helpful for a few people out there and um, thanks everyone for watching thanks everyone